Let's pause in a moment of prayer before we take time to consider our text for this morning, Galatians 3, 15 to 18. Let's pray. Father, as we consider your word together, may your voice be heard. May your touch be felt. May you minister into our lives to guide us and lead us and help us to deepen our love for you and our confidence in you. As we pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Have you made a will? It's an important thing to do. And it's one that people tend to put off, believing they, they still have lots of time to sort those sort of matters out in the years to come. I first made a will 24 years ago. My son Simon and I were in the car when a van ploughed into the back of us. We were largely unscathed by the accident, just uh, some whiplash. But as I was with the solicitor and sorting out the various issues arising from the accident, I decided it would be a good time to draw up my will. Having learned the lesson that you never know the moment when your life might be taken from you. As we turn again to consider our study in the book of Galatians, it's important to remember the Apostle Paul was, but in his initial profession, a, a lawyer. And he was one of the best. He has a, a PhD from the University of Jerusalem. And this helps us to understand how he argues and makes his case in these verses. He writes in verse 15, setting out his main point. To give a human example, brothers, and to note that he calls them brothers for a, a few verses before he had called them fools. Even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Paul is saying that there are certain legal agreements that once they're drawn up, they must not be, they cannot be altered. He has in mind here the Abrahamic covenant, having drawn the reader's attention to Abraham in the verses of uh, last week we considered together. And in trying to make sense of this portion of scripture, we need to remember the permanent promise made. The permanent promise made. In Genesis chapters 12, 15 and 17, we see there that El Shaddai, God Almighty, comes to Abraham to make with him a rich and multifaceted promise. Abraham believed God's word and so was blessed to be a blessing. The agreement was binding. Nothing could alter or amend it. And this is exclusively how someone enters into a saving relationship with God by believing in his promise, the promise of the gospel. And this is how the Christians in the Galatian churches had come to be part of God's family and now were spiritual descendants of Abraham. They heard the gospel message preached by the Apostle Paul and responded in faith. They believed and were saved. But now they were under great pressure to add other requirements which they were being taught were necessary for saving faith. And Paul argues that it cannot be so. 
The covenant made by God was a permanent promise. Let me use an example, but, but please don't get too caught up on the details of this illustration. Hopefully it will be helpful to you. Imagine you decide to buy a car from Noel Brownlee. You agree with him a price, £8,000. You shake hands with Noel and head off to the bank to gather together the money. As you're leaving the bank, you, you run into Mark Kent. And you explain that you're getting money to pay for this lovely car. When suddenly Mark interrupts and says, you'll have to pay Noel £20,000 for that car. And he goes on and says, you'll also have to get your tongue pierced and leave a dozen duck eggs on Noel's doorstep every week for the next two years. Now you always questioned Mark's sanity. And with this you're convinced he's lost the plot completely. You trust Noel. He's the one with whom you've made the agreement. He's an honest man. You have said you'll pay him £8,000 and no blow-in from the United States of America is going to tell you how to do your business. Sorry, Mark. Okay, so it's a, a ridiculous illustration. But in a sense, this is Paul's point. To alter a binding agreement. And to add a long list of further requirements makes no sense. And much worse, it is to call God a liar and to question the truth of his promise. The Galatians, through the covenant of grace, have come into saving faith in Jesus. They are inheritors of the blessing of the promise made. Now Judaizers have come and attempted to rewrite this agreement insinuating that God is demanding more of them, calling them to experience circumcision and to uphold all the minutia of the law, the 600 plus further requirements that are detailed in the Torah. And Paul will not sit quietly with such error being taught. This permanent promise has been made by the powerful promise maker. The powerful promise maker. Do you always keep your promises? I'm sure you like to think that you do. But we all have to acknowledge that we cannot always keep our promises since we are not in control of all events. Maybe this has happened to you. You've run out of the house, you're going to meet someone, you're a little pushed for time, you jump into your car, you turn the key in the ignition and nothing. The battery's flat. You made a commitment, a promise to be somewhere, but now you're going to be late, if you get there at all. Many people are learning painful lessons through these weeks of lockdown. They have appointments in their diaries, one by one they're being missed. My calendar constantly reminds me of the things I ought to be doing, of meetings I had planned to attend, but each one now set aside due to circumstances outside of my control. And it is vitally important to remind ourselves regularly that we have very little control over the things around us. James writes, James 4 and verse 15, that you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we live and do this and that. 
Yes, we make promises, we intend to keep them, but we are not in control of all matters. Paul wants us to understand that when God makes a promise, he will always keep it. And he can always keep it since he's fully in control of all things. He is the powerful promise maker. And no unexpected occurrence is going to catch him unaware. There is this significant difference between the covenant of saving grace and the law of Moses. Well, when God makes his approach to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and verses 2 and 3, he says four times, I will, I will, I will, I will. It is unilateral. It is entirely initiated by God and fulfilled by him. And when God says he's going to do something, he will do it. His promises cannot fail since he is in control of all things. Whereas in Exodus 20, where we find the core of the law given through Moses, the Ten Commandments, and there in verses 3 to verse 17, you'll find 11 times in the ESV, you shall, you shall, you shall, or thou shalt. It may be our intention to do all that the law commands. But we understand we are not in control of all things. We cannot even control the things that supposedly lie within our power. You know how Paul writes in Romans chapter 7 and verse 15 saying, I do not understand my own action, for I do not do what I want. I do the very thing I hate. The permanent promise made by the powerful promise maker will not fail. And we discover that his benefits, his blessings are brought to us by the perfect promise mediator. Galatians 3 and verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to offsprings referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. You may be looking at your Bible and you'll find a slightly different translation. The word seed is often used instead of offspring. But, but clearly, this is making reference about, to a baby that, that was to be born. Back in Genesis chapter 3, in the first embryonic announcement of the gospel. The solution to the problem of sin would come through the offspring of the woman, the child she would bear. He would crush the head of the serpent. Genesis 3 and verse 15. The birth of the child, the one who would win this decisive victory, was awaited in each subsequent generation. We've been thinking about this in our evening studies in 1 Samuel. This key biblical theme that the hope of the world is found in a baby's cry. When the world is in a mess, when humanity is desperately in need of deliverance, God works in a family, a baby is born, and that child grows up to be the means whereby God rescues his people. We learned this lesson in the account of Hannah's longing for a son. 
But all of this, whether the birth of Samuel to Elkanah and Hannah, or the birth of Isaac to Abraham and Sarah, all this was pointing to the baby's cry that broke the silence of a Bethlehem night. The good news of great joy for all people. God had sent his deliverer king, the perfect promise mediator. This is the message from the life of Abraham. He longed for a son to inherit the wealth that was representative of God's goodness shown to him. And also in his mind was this idea that was prevalent in the lives of the people of that generation. That through his children, through his son Isaac, would come his immortality. He, through his memory, would live on in the lives of his descendants. But from the beginning, God had a much bigger plan. That all the blessings of the covenant would come not to Isaac, but to Isaac and to Abraham's great, 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 and so on, grandson, Jesus. To all who believe in him salvation, eternal life would come. To those who trust in him, the blessings of the covenant of grace would be known. He and he alone would reverse the effects of the fall. He came into our world to deal with sin, suffering and separation from God. Finally, we see the, the plentiful promise maintained. The plentiful promise Maintained verse, or in, in Genesis 15, we see how this covenant of promise is forged. God gives instructions to Abraham to bring animals, to cut them in two, a heifer, a ram and a goat, with a dove and a pigeon, their necks run. And these were to be laid out in two rows, and the parties to the covenant were to walk between them as recognition of their right to do to the other as had been done to these animals, should the terms of the agreement be broken. Abraham knew exactly what was going on as he prepared this scene. This was a, a common practice in that day. And we read there in Genesis 15 verses 17 and 18. When the sun had gone down, and it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. The smoking fire pot, the flaming torch were symbols, representations of God that passed between the sacrifices. Where was Abraham when all this was going on? Well, he was fast asleep. The weight of God's presence in those moments caused Abraham to experience a deep dread and made him weary just as Peter, James and John had experienced on the Mount of Transfiguration. In making the covenant, Abraham did nothing because there was nothing he could do. The permanent promise was made, but one of the parties would break it. Humanity would sin. And the just punishment for sin is death. Someone would have to die. Someone who had passed between the sacrificed animals would themselves have to be torn apart to pay the price for the breaking of the covenant. And so, 2,000 years ago, the perfect promise mediator was mocked. 
whipped and beaten. He was taken and nailed to the cross. And he experienced that moment of dereliction where the Son of God was torn into for your sin and for mine. The curse of the covenant was upon him, verse 13, and the blessings of the covenant were ours. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, all the promises of God find their yes in him. So Paul writes here in verse 18, Galatians 3, For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave or gifted it to Abraham by a promise. This is God's gift received by faith alone. Nothing else is required. To attempt to add to it is to call God a liar. To trust our works in any way is to belittle our sin and to make a mockery of the cross. To inherit, there is nothing you have to do but be related to the benefactor, to be one of Abraham's offspring, who are as numerous as the stars. Let me finish with a little quotation from William Barclay, who writes, Man's imperfection can never fully satisfy God's perfection, but if we abandon this hopeless struggle and bring ourselves and our sin to God, His grace opens its arms to us and we find ourselves at peace with a God who is no longer judge, but Father. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your promise to us. A promise that is laden with benefits and blessings. And to us, we simply have to believe and receive. Forgive us for our futile efforts to earn your love, to merit your gift. Help us simply to open our arms to receive your blessing upon us. Father, we rejoice this day in Jesus, the one who was torn apart in our place, bearing our sin and your just punishment for it so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be your children, so that we might know eternal life in him. Lord, may we know this great promise fulfilled in Christ. May we know this blessing upon our lives and may we make it known day by day. Thanking you for your saving love to us in Jesus, the one through whom we pray. Amen.